Hail and well met. I'm guessing you're wanting shelter from the storm, right? Well, it is a cold night out there. Why don't you pull up a chair by the fire? I have just the thing to pass the time. A story. I call it The Scrying Eye. This is part one. Welcome to the Lavender Tavern, my friend. Bernard, a strong young man of sixteen with longish brown hair, green eyes, and tan skin, came to the beach as often as he could. Once his lessons in the cooking academy were done for the day, and once he had helped his parents in the field, he stole along the path to the beach, listening in pleasure as the oppressive silence of his home and quiet of the town gave way to the rushing of the river and the lapping of waves against the beach. If he waited long enough, he could sit at the edge of the beach and watch the stars come out of a deep purple dusk. But usually, Bernard had to hurry home, explain to his parents that he'd become lost in thought, dreaming of a new recipe, and then bury his head under his pillow and try to sleep through his parents' arguing, followed by silence. There was no silence here, only the rhythmic waves against the beach and against the wooden pier that the fishers used. This night, a fall chill filled the air, and the waves were disturbed by a cool breeze coming from across the far end of the lake. And then... And then Bernard saw a violet flash, something that he had never seen before. It was not a falling star. The flash started and ended behind the large hill that led up back to the town. He was not afraid. There was little to be afraid of in the town, besides the disapproval of others. Bernard marched over to the edge of the hill, sandals slapping against the sand, and there he discovered a man. The man was tall and solidly built, but indistinct somehow, as if he had been drawn by an artist with an unsure hand. Before Bernard could say anything, the man spoke. "'I am Radolf,' he said. "'And you are Bernard.' Bernard smiled. "'You know me, then. Are you a visitor that came to our town once when I was a child?' The man shook his head. "'I am from times yet to come, or, to be plainer, your future.' Bernard laughed. "'Ah! Then you can tell me what is on my test at the cooking academy tomorrow morning.' The man shrugged. Much further ahead. Many years. He turned and walked along the beach. Bernard, fascinated, followed him, stepping quickly to catch up. He saw that despite the man's solid build, his feet hardly left imprints in the sand. I am not a child, Bernard said. My parents have told me of men and women coming to the town pretending to be wizards or witches or trading worthless potions for gold. Radolph stopped, looking out at the lake. This I offer you, he said, taking a pouch from his belt. You do not believe that I am from your future, and I doubted you would. But these three testaments will show you that I speak true. 
He passed the pouch to Bernard, and Bernard felt a mild tingle as their hands touched. He blushed. Radolf was an attractive man, stocky in the way Bernard liked and with a beard, unlike the boys in his classes. He hefted the pouch. Shall I open it now? Radolf shook his head. They would mean nothing to you, but they will mean a great deal later. And then he turned to Bernard and grasped both of his wrists in his hands. Bernard again felt the shock, but now wondered. Was this a touch of magic or of simple physical attraction? Radolf came closer, and his eyes were very intent. I know you, Radolf said simply. From your future, you are a desperately unhappy man. You have made poor choices in love and in life, a failed relationship, among other things. Bernard tried to wrest himself from Radolf's grip, but he could not. And so you've come back to give me a warning, he said. More than a warning, a second chance. You are meant for something more, Bernard, the man said. I want you to help me build the scrying eye. The crying eye? Bernard asked. Scrying. The scrying eye. Through it, you can see what has been, what is, and what is yet to come. And with the right magic, you can pass through it. And that is how I came to visit you on this night, all those years ago. Bernard felt the tug of desire and bowed his head, not wanting to look Radolf in the eyes. What would you have me do? Simple, Radolf replied. You shall become a painter. Bernard burst out laughing. A painter? That is the one thing I have no skill in. My father is a painter, and he tells me that when I was a child, I was better at throwing paint on the ground than onto a canvas. Radolf put his left thumb and forefinger on Bernard's hairless chin and lifted it until they were looking into each other's eyes again. You will be a painter. You will be a great painter. And we will need someone to paint the story of the scrying eye. You will document the past and I will see it in the future. His lips passed very close to Bernard's cheek, and Bernard imagined he could feel the bristle of Radolf's beard on him. And I will come back to you, Radolf whispered into his ear. A wind had whipped up, and now the waves were topped with white crests, and Radolf studied them for a moment. I must return to my time. To your future, the scrying eye cannot be held open for long. He released Bernard's wrist, and Bernard stumbled back, but he caught himself. The strange man was becoming more indistinct as a violet light came up from the lake. I have one last request, he said, and his voice sounded very far away. Yes, Bernard said. Will you wait? Radolf asked just before he disappeared. Will you wait for me? His voice echoed. And then he was gone, and Bernard stood on the beach with a pouch of testaments in his hands. He hefted it, then held it like a secret to his chest. Bernard turned from the beach and the lake and the place Radolf had stood and walked home, mind full of stories and images of a future and an eye, 
and the man who had traveled an unknowable distance to meet him. He told his parents he had become distracted by thoughts of a new way to prepare meat, and they forgave him for being late. His mother gave him pottage, and he thought it could use some arrowroot and fennel. After dinner, he asked his father if he could use the other side of one of his discarded artworks for a sketch. Surprised, his father allowed it, though Bernard's sister thought this was a foolish idea. He says nothing, she said, sticking out her tongue. I can draw better dragons than him. He took up his father's paints and added a little water from the jug by the door and mixed the colors. Then, taking the boar's hair brush, he dabbed it in the paint and applied it to the canvas. But there was nothing. Ty was right. He had drawn swirls and lines and violet spots, but no reality was captured there. In time, he murmured. In time. That night, as he lay in his bed, surrounded by Radolf's secret, he opened the pouch. As Radolf had said, the testaments told him nothing. There was a large, heavy wax ball, a split arrow, and a blank vellum scroll. The vellum itself would have paid for food for the family for a month, but he wrapped the testaments back up in the leather pouch. Since Ty liked to take things, Bernard dug a hole in the dirt under the jug by the front door and buried it there. He dreamed of the pouch, and he dreamed of Radolf. Since the fish had become scarce over the last few years, the town had opened itself to itinerant instructors, and now, unusually for a small town, it held four academies. Bernard was enrolled in the cooking academy, given his skill at preparing dishes of all types, and his instructor was dumbfounded when Bernard informed him that he would be switching to the painting academy. "'Young man, you have a gift for food!' the instructor said, shaking his head. "'Anyone can slap paint on a wall, but you were born to a different calling, to feed the town!' Mind filled with visions of the future, Bernard submitted his termination notice and left the low, squat building with multiple chimneys that smoked and gave off delicious aromas. His parents were equally astonished. "'A painter?' his father said. Are you sure, Bernard? Bernard had the sense that his father would not contradict him, that this was as far as he would go. His mother was the opposite. You're a fool, Bernard, she said. Look at how little the paintings fetch that your father makes, and he is a master tradesman. His father shot a look at his mother, and his mother fell silent. And when Bernard repeated he wanted to be a painter, his father offered to stand as his reference for the painting academy. Unlike the cooking academy, the painting academy was a light, breezy building open to the sun, with a patio where students could draw in natural light. Bernard met his new instructor, Blayed, there. She was a taciturn, tall woman with a permanent frown and slitted eyes. "'You have a reference from the best painter in our town,' she said. "'Yes,' he replied. "'He is your father,' she said. "'Yes,' he replied." You have no examples of your work. No, he replied. Blayed sighed. Your father has given us gold in exchange for you to come to the academy. I have my doubts that you can ever be an artist, but you may yet become a decent illustrator. Let us begin. 
So Bernard began to learn the skills of painting, how to choose a canvas and how to stretch it, how to draw from life, what pencils, charcoal, and chalk to use, and many other things. And he drew and he drew, and nothing came from his drawing. Although Blayad occasionally allowed that one of his pieces was not altogether unpleasing. But you know that a man's legs should both be the same length, she snapped. Remember that. Old Man Vergus has two legs of different lengths, Bernard muttered. If this is a painting of Old Man Vergus, where is his eye patch? Bernard had no reply. The Cooking Academy, Painting Academy, Historical Academy, and Civil Service Academy stood at the corners of the largest park in town. One day, Bernard spent his lunch hour at the Cooking Academy, watching the cooks toil over pots and cauldrons. Then, he bought some of their cooking for lunch. He was hurrying back along the path towards the Painting Academy when he bumped into a man carrying a satchel. Scrolls and pages and pens flew out of the satchel and onto the ground. Bernard apologized profusely, and the man looked at him in consternation. "'Do you ever look where you're going?' he asked. He was wearing spectacles, and he had the dusty air of the past about him. He was wearing clothes Bernard remembered his father wearing when Bernard was a child. There was something old about him, though he could not have been more than two years older. Dark eyes, tall and lanky. And then a smile cracked the man's face, something like the light from a church window, the change from a peevish old man to a charming young one. I'm sorry, the man said, gathering up the scrolls. I was rushing to get some lunch. I'm just as much to blame as you. He put out his hand. I'm Kedron. His hand was warm and calloused. Kedron smelled faintly of old parchment and clothes stored for a long time. Not an unpleasant smell. I'm Bernard, he said, returning the smile. You're in the Historical Academy? Kedron raised his eyebrows. No, I'm in the Civil Service Academy. Bernard shook his head and couldn't think of anything to say. Kedron belonged in an old scroll about knights and dragons and fair maidens. You mentioned lunch, Bernard replied. Can I offer you some of mine? It's from the Cooking Academy. You had the same idea as me, then, Kedron said. Let's sit under the tree and share what you've got. They sat in the shade of an elm, and the wind through the branches filled the companionable silence as they ate goat chunks and turnips baked with bread. "'Are you from town?' Bernard asked. "'I don't recognize you, although we're a lot larger than we used to be.' "'No,' Kedron replied, patting his mouth with a cloth taken from his pocket. Another old tradition, Bernard thought. "'I came here a year ago to study civil service.' I find it remarkable that this town has four academies, though. When I was a child, it was a fishing village, Bernard said. It has changed a great deal in the last ten years. Not always for the best, I imagine, Kedron replied. Now, we have academies dedicated to sustenance, art, history, and governance, Bernard said, pointing to each building in turn. I'd say it's a change for the better. Kedron looked down at his cloth and folded it carefully into quarters. Change for its own sake is not always the best, Bernard. What of the fisherman and fisherwoman, I wonder? I imagine they found work at the academies or the textile mill or some other industry, 
Bernard said, somewhat irritated. An outsider who had only been here a year, and the man was already criticizing the town. Yes, that's a good thing to imagine, Ketrin said, and got to his feet, thanking Bernard for the meal. You must excuse me again. I find progress a tiresome thing. As Kedron walked off towards the squat Civil Service Academy building, Bernard thought, Progress brings the future. Bernard continued to cook meals and other delicacies for his family, which delighted his mother and perplexed his father. Bernard, you need to concentrate on your art, his father would say. An artist is always working. Then smacking his lips, It's unconscionable for you to ignore your sketches. Is there any more casserole? After dinner one night, Bernard sat down at the easel for his daily practice, dreading it. He picked up the charcoal and lifted his hand tentatively. It doesn't have to be perfect, his father said from behind him. It has to be something, Bernard said. You're trying so hard, his father said. Just let your hand relax and see what comes out. But Bernard knew what would come out. Without the discipline of holding his hand tightly to the canvas, the swoops and curls in the charcoal would be even messier. After his father had left him to argue quietly with his mother, Bernard thought of Kedron. The man from the past, he thought. He lifted the charcoal to the canvas and imagined Kedron's wavy hair as a scroll, his eyes as windows to a place of worship, his lips as... After a few minutes, he appraised what he had drawn. It was misshapen, it was malproportioned, and it had no art in it. But it was Kedron. There was some life to the sketch that his other sketches did not have. A few days later, Bernard was sketching a bowl of fruit for a still life in the open courtyard of the painting academy when Blayad interrupted him with a tap on his shoulder. He was sure she would tell him that his banana resembled an apple, or that his grapes were concave instead of convex, but instead, she passed him an envelope with a red seal. Kedron. <laughs> he didn't even have to open it to know it was Kedron. Who else would seal a note in wax? Since you're a fan of the Cooking Academy's meals, how about joining me for noon lunch at the open house next week? Kedron. The note was surprisingly breezy, but written in the scrolling loops of an older age. Bernard wrote his own on a scrap of canvas and charcoal, simply saying, Yes! and dropped it at the Civil Service Academy, where a wizened old man promised to deliver the note to Master Kedron. They had lunch at the open house, and they laughed and talked history and art and politics. They took a walk through the quad after the school day was over the following week, telling each other of books they'd read, books they'd only heard of, and books they imagined. They went to an itinerant visiting carnival, giggling with pleasure at the japes of the masked women and men, strolling and eating candy and exotic meats until they were stuffed. One night, Bernard had stayed late at the painting academy when it occurred to him to pay Kedron a visit. Kedron was staying in the modest student quarters behind the park, and he thought he'd surprise him. He was too late, however. The door to the quarters was locked. Bernard stepped back, trying to ascertain which window belonged to Kedron's room. 
When he saw Kedron pass behind the top window on the left side, he considered calling out, but he did not wish to wake anyone up. He found a handful of pebbles on the ground and tossed them at Kedron's window, but they fell short. Bernard looked around for something bigger and saw a rock which he thought would get Kedron's attention. Without thinking further, he flung the rock up into the air and it crashed through Kedron's window with a tinkling sound. A muttered exclamation from Kedron, then a thud, then a scream. Bernard knew now that it did not matter whether he was quiet or not. Later that evening, Bernard sat in the waiting room at the healer's house where Kedron was tended to. Kedron eventually limped out and sat next to Bernard. You must think I am a fool, Bernard said after a while. Must I? Kedron asked. I had hoped that we could go for a walk. Kedron tapped his bandaged foot. An excellent idea! Then he grinned. You are a silly man. Again, that beam of sunlight Kedron grinned, Bernard thought. Am I forgiven? he asked. Of such things are interactions between men made, Kedron said. Bernard didn't understand. It is the little events that move forward greater things, Kedron said. History, friendships, relationships. Bernard flushed. Unbidden, Radolf's face came to Bernard's mind. He had not thought of him for some time, although he'd contemplated the pouch of testaments that still lay buried under the jug by the front door of his house. What had Radolf said? You have made bad choices in love and in life. Bernard heard his voice echo in his memory, as if Radolf was standing before him again. After a moment, Kedron withdrew his hand and looked away, and the spell was broken. Bernard wanted to say something. But the healer was upon them, asking for payment and promising further blessings of good health in the form of an amulet for a few coins. As they left the healer, Kedron shyly passed him something and pressed his hand around Bernard's. It was the rock he'd tossed through the window, oval, misshapen, and, Bernard thought, quite lovely. Bernard kept it under his pillow. The following week, Bernard took his sketchbook to the beach where he had met Radolf. It had been a long time since he had been there. He watched the waves spill against the beach and tried to sketch the tides, but he could only think of Radolf and the Testaments. Bad choices in love. Was Kedron a bad choice in love? Bernard looked at the book and saw once again that he had drawn only spirals and swirls of black and gray. He closed the sketchbook angrily and walked along the beach, stepping heavy footprints in the sand. Testaments were proof. What proof did he really have? A wax ball, a split arrow, and a blank canvas? Back home, he dug up the pouch and splayed its contents out in his hands. Ty had long gone to bed, and his parents were likely glaring at each other in their own room. Testaments mean nothing, Bernard thought. Like the amulet the healer offered, nothing more than charms and superstitions. He hefted the heavy wax ball, and as he went to put it back into the pouch, it slipped out of his hands and into the fire. Bernard cursed quietly. He took the iron poker and drew the wax ball out of the flames. But it was no longer a ball. The wax had melted, and all that was left was a rock.
He waited until it cooled. Then he picked it up and carried it to his bed. It was the same shape as the one under his pillow, misshapen and oval and lovely. Bernard grabbed the second rock, burst to his feet, and raced out of the house without shoes on. He ran into the nearby forest and tossed the rock as far as he could, panting. Then he put his fist to his mouth and stifled a scream. He did not move for a very long time. Time passed. Bernard and Kedron spent as much time together as possible, until his father and mother asked Bernard if there was something between them. Bernard, ever mindful of the stone that lay beneath his pillow, and the identical one that lay at the bottom of the forest, shrugged. His parents smiled, and Ty smiled, and they invited Kedron over for an uneasy dinner, where Kedron and his father argued about the merits of modern art. More time passed. Kedron graduated and went into politics. Bernard graduated, and, with his father's name and Blade's reluctant reference, he became a record-keeper and illustrator at the academies. Kedron was a vocal opponent of the town's ruling council, and Bernard's father stopped inviting him to dinner. But Kedron had taken rooms of his own and invited Bernard regularly to come, share stories of his work, and cook for them. The council wishes to expand the town's borders, Kedron explained on a warm summer night when they consumed too much red wine and too little meat pie. They wish us to become a shipping hub. They wish us to merge with that town with the windmill a few miles away. They wish us to become a city. Bernard relaxed in his chair. Though he'd once been a stranger to the town, Kedron now referred to it as his town and us, Bernard noted. He enjoyed Kedron's company immensely. The old scrolls and books he had, the dusty clothes he wore, the very Kedronness of him. Is that so bad? he asked, swirling the wine in his glass. Isn't progress a good thing? Kedron leaned over and for the first time kissed Bernard directly on the lips. It was his first kiss from a man, and he felt a spark pass through them. Only this was not the spark of magic that had brought a man through time, but one of simple connection. They did not speak for a time. When Kedron drew back at last, he said, The progress of a village, or a town, or a city isn't... Tipsy and waving his wine glass, he hunted for the words. It isn't an arrow that goes forward in only one direction. It's akin to a road. There are always places to turn off, to pause, to go back. Bernard looked into Kedron's eyes and realized how he felt about him. He saw the arrow of time pointing from when they collided on the quad to the lunches and dinners, all leading up to this moment. He did not want to turn off this road. He did not want to pause, and he did not want to go back. Bernard gave himself over to his feelings and allowed himself to fall into Kedron's arms. Later that night, Bernard listened to Kedron sleep and snore his Kedron snores, but Bernard could not sleep. He thought of time's arrow and the testaments that lay in his pouch buried at home. Time passed, and Kedron invited Bernard to move in with him in larger quarters with his dusty books and collected treasures. 
Although Bernard knew what was to happen, Bernard said yes. He left his annoyed father and grieving mother and happy sister Ty, gathered his few belongings, and moved in with Kedron. He took the pouch with him, and he buried it under a stone head of an ancient warrior that sat by the back door of their quarters. It was the one secret he kept from Kedron. Bernard promised himself he'd tell him someday. The town grew into a larger town, but Bernard did not tell Kedron about the pouch. The influence of the town's ruling council grew, but Bernard did not tell Kedron about the pouch. As time passed further, Bernard began to paint the events of their lives. Small paintings he collected in a book so that they could turn the heavy pages and reminisce about their past. Bernard and Kedron in the quad having lunch. Bernard and Kedron at the healer. Bernard and Kedron on the threshold of their quarters. Bernard and Kedron arm in arm in the street. With years of persistence, patience, and some luck, Bernard's skill as an illustrator grew, and he was called upon to document important events in the town's history. Bernard would look at the artwork he drew to commemorate the opening of a new building, or a visit by foreign dignitaries, and he would not feel that his work was good enough. It depicted what it was supposed to, but it was not art. Kedron would hug him and tell him that it was simply modesty he felt. Even so, Bernard was only happy when he was cooking supper and waiting for Kedron to come home from his new position on the council. On one such winter night, Kedron came home shaking his head, stamping the snow from his feet, and slamming the door shut with such force that Bernard hurried in from the kitchen. The council, he asked as Kedron took off his outer robe. Kedron rubbed his hands by the hearth fire and nodded. The progressives! Again! He shrugged his Kedron shrug that Bernard had come to know so well. A shrug that meant, What can you expect from progressives? Kedron, of course, was in the conservative faction, which had been fighting a losing battle against the progressives for years. Kedron worried about the smoke from the new buildings, the children who had started coughing, the soot in the sky, and the scribblings of vagrants on buildings. They worship progress, he said over dinner, and have no regard for tradition. What's happened this time? Bernard asked. Usually, Kedron kept the details of the council's secret machinations to himself, but Bernard could see that he was upset. Textiles, mills, alchemy, the town must have every new invention, Kedron muttered. But there is a new invention coming, and we are to vote on it. Some flying machine? Bernard asked with amusement, turning water to wine. I would be in favor of turning water to wine, Kedron said, raising his glass. I do not know the details, for everyone involved in the project has been sworn to secrecy. We will be voting tomorrow night once we hear of this new invention. Bernard frowned. I have no such invitation from the council to sketch tomorrow night. Kedron nodded. Now you see how secret this project has been. I have only been told because I am on the council. Once the council votes go ahead, and I believe they will, all will be revealed to the town public. I want to come to the meeting, Bernard said. He'd never asked to go to a town council meeting before, unless he was going in his professional capacity 
But there was a difference to this meeting. Something of importance hung in the air. There may be violence, Hedron warned. Violence, Bernard laughed. These are men and women who speak of buildings and taxes. Hedron shook his head. Progress is a beast that fights to survive. I wish for you to stay home and stay safe. The next day, after Kedron had left for the meeting, Bernard waited an appropriate amount of time pacing. Go, he thought. Go and see. He felt a strange tugging, as if he were being compelled against his wishes. The meeting was already in session once he arrived. As one of the chief illustrators for the town, Bernard was able to convince the guard that he had been called on to sketch the event, and he had been clever enough to bring his sketchbook with him. He could hear the rumbling and shouting from the council room from down the hall, so he snuck close to the council room door, then opened it a crack. The first words he heard were spoken by Kedron, and they sent a chill through his heart. The scrying eye! Kedron said as he completed the sentence. Bernard stood stock still. Close the door, he thought. Run home and hide. Put the words out of your head. But he stayed and listened. You say the scrying eye will be the window on the world for this town, Kedron went on in oratorical style. You say that it will provide porridge for every household, a horse for every home. Opening the door a bit further, Bernard could see Kedron at the dais, looking around with angry eyes. You say it will increase our wealth, but you do not say how, and you do not say why. Master Kedron believes that we must avoid any modern conveniences, a new voice said with disdain. It was the leader of the progressive faction, Arlo. We have presented our proposal in great detail. With the scrying eye, we will be able to foresee what is to come and escape the perils of the future. We will be able to examine the past and avoid repeating our errors. A great clamor arose from the progressive faction, while the conservative faction thumped their tables, and Bellamy, the magistrate, called for order. You have not! And here, Kedron raised his voice to be heard above the rising din. You have not spoken of the cost of this eye. The workers at our textile mill are in danger of losing their employ with the competition from nearby towns. Children are on the street. The mood in the council room was becoming a solid mass, dark and ugly. A middle-aged woman in a cloak shoved a younger man, and then two other men began to push and shove each other. Cries and screams rose in the chamber, while Bellamy shouted to no avail. Kedron, Bernard thought. He had to reach Kedron. But the mass of people ahead of him grew thicker and angrier, and he held back. And then he saw her, a woman almost directly in front of him. Reaching down with one swift motion, taking a bow and an arrow from a sack, notching the arrow and drawing the bow back and aiming at Kedron and... Well, it's getting late. The next time you come back, I'll tell you the rest of the story.
Tonight's story was 